We are in the book of Colossians, wrapping up chapter 1 this morning. There's four chapters, fifth sermon on chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1 is really talking about uh, what God has done for us, and we're wrapping that up. Chapter 2, 3, and 4 are really about how do we respond, what are Paul's directions to the church, and how to respond for all good that God has done uh, for us. There was a... Um, so. Th- if you looked in the bulletin, you probably saw one title of this morning's uh, sermon that says, A Secret You Should Share, and that's going to be buried in this, but God just changed my heart this morning just to go a little bit of a different direction. So I got up early this morning and was studying and praying through it and changed it a little bit. So surprise. Anybody surprised? Anybody upset? Anybody want your money back? We'll see. Um, So today we're talking about suffer, struggle, and depend. We're going to take this passage, we're going to kind of jump into the middle of it, we're going to look at this secret, uh, and then we're going to look at what's around at the beginning and and the end of this passage. But there was this show when I was a kid, anybody just get scared when I put that up there? If you're around my generation, the 40s, I'm I'm almost 40, 39, uh, you remember this as as a kid, um, or, you know, maybe you were my parents' age when it was on. But you remember Unsolved Mysteries. Anybody remember Unsolved Mysteries? Man, I was never going to watch it again and couldn't wait every week to watch it again. It was like both in one. And this music would come on and it just like it sends chills through you. You hear it in the background? Oh, God, like that nerve. Like... But they're so exciting because they would keep it going. No, it's going to go away in a second. So you had this music, Unsolved Mysteries, a show that was just full of all these mysteries. Some of them were crime-related. Some of them were supernatural or whatever it was. And uh, it kind of always left you on this cliffhanger. And America loved it, I think. I felt like, like we love mysteries and a hunger to figure out and try to solve it. And uh, every now and then they'd have an episode, and at the end of it, they would talk back about old past episodes and be like, remember this story? It's been solved. That was so fulfilling. Usually it was a huge letdown, like it was nothing crazy. It was like, I really just want it to always be a mystery. That's the exciting, uh, exciting part of it. And so this is like the human nature of us to want to solve mysteries and discover secrets and figure things out. Sometimes it's the whys and the whats of life. Like, we just want to understand life and the mysteries of the universe. There was this physician in the 1800s. His name was, let me get this right, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. He was the guy who, who coined the, the word anesthesia. And, uh, and, and so he, he was a physician in the 1800s, and, and he was using ether uh, on his patients. He said, I really should know what this procedure and process is like. So he used the ether on himself, and he said, I just want to go through that. And, and as he was going into this dreamy state, right, of, of going to sleep, uh, this thought came to his head, and, and he said, that is the, that is the solution that answers all the mysteries of the universe. And then he fell asleep. And when he woke up, you, you ever had that dream where you're, you're like, it's right there on the other side, but I can't remember exactly what, I, he couldn't remember it. Like he woke up and couldn't remember. He's like, I know I had this thought. I solved the mysteries of the universe when I was falling asleep. And now I can't remember. So he plans the process again, but with someone to take notes. And so, so he, he's taking ether again, and he's, he's going, to, going to sleep. And sure enough, into the dreamy state, and the thought comes back to him. 
And, and, and it's revealed all the mysteries. It's the key to everything in the universe. He tells the stenographer. She takes the notes and he falls asleep. He gets up and he says, all right, did you get the notes? And she said, yeah, I got it. He said, what was it? She said, the entire universe is permeated with a strong odor of turpentine. <laughs> and he was supremely let down. But it spoke to his hunger for us to understand the deep mysteries of the universe. Last week we talked about the big deal about Jesus, that he was God, that he created all things, that without him everything falls apart, that he is the sustainer of all things, that he's building his church, he's the head of the church, that he dies a man, he was resurrected, he's our savior. We talked about all these things. Paul carries on in his letters. This is a continuing thought of that. And he tells them here, not only is he all those things, but in him, God of the universe revealed a mystery, a secret, that's been hidden for generations, for ages. In the entire Old Testament, this never was fully understood and never played out. You know, sometimes you watch a mystery movie and you're trying to figure it out at the end until the end. Then you, you, you get the end and you're like, oh, it all makes sense now. Right? You can see it through the whole movie. And so this is what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae. I want to tell you this deep mystery, this deep secret that has been solved. Colossians 1, 25 through 26, Paul said, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too, and this is the secret. Not that the entire universe smells like turpentine. This is the secret. Christ. Can I take you back to last week real quick? What's Christ? He is God. He was not created. He's all powerful. He created all things. He sustains all. Christ lives in you. Man, you can read those words fast. And go on to the next verse. But he says, this is the mystery, this secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. The NIV says it like this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is mind-blowing at the time for several reasons. One is the false teachers in Colossae were teaching the, the church that there was going to be a certain group of people who would, would have elevated understanding and they would be, have this access to this higher level knowledge that would make them closer to God. They would be the elite group. And Paul's like, no, no, no. This is the mystery. This is the secret. It's for everybody. Everybody knows it. Not, and when I say everybody, he says, this is for the Gentiles too, not just for the Jews, who are not for Israel, who's God's chosen nation, but for anybody and everybody who believes. It's two things. One uh, was that this is for everybody, uh, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It is not just elevated knowledge. And the three, the big deal uh, about this is the reality that Christ no longer is in a temple where only a high priest can go and talk to him. 
No longer is God hidden from you. No longer is God far from you. Yet each and every believer has direct access to the God of all creation. He, 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 he lives inside of you. Man, that is powerful. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That hope of glory, I mean, uh, a little bit of morbidity before we get through the rest of the You're going to die someday. If you didn't know it, let me break it to you. Unless the Lord comes back first, we're going to die someday. When we die, our hope of heaven, our hope of glory, is not how faithful we were to go to church. It is not how much we gave. It is not, did we follow all the rules? It is not, did we do this? Did we do that? They're not going to put our, our works on scales and see, this is the hope of glory. Did you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Was Christ abiding in you when you died. It's the hope of glory. So simple. It is so simple. And for us believers, when we accept that and we realize that Christ is in us, then our lives change and we begin to bear fruit. We live differently because Christ is in us. He's not in us because we live differently. Follow me just for a second. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not a hunch. It's not an intuition that's been revealed. It's true. Christ lives in you. Uh, our hope of glory. It isn't our own hard work or devotion to God or the power of our own spirituality. Instead, it is the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in you. Let me ask you this question. Do you know Christ? Uh, are you going through the motions of religion and church, or do you know him? Does he abide inside of you? He's not hidden from you. He's not standing with his arms crossed. His arms wide open, inviting you in. So what does this mean? If Christ lives inside of me, how does Paul respond? And what, what in this passage can we see is different about Paul's life? Let's look at just a few verses here. Verse 24, he says, I'm glad when I suffer. That's weird. It's a weird way to start this, isn't it? I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. So the first thing we see is that he can find joy in suffering. It's contrary to our thought, contrary to our mindset, but here we have Paul finding joy in suffering. And what we see in this, well, how did Paul suffer? Uh, when, he, when it says here the sufferings of Christ, that Greek word is not what we might immediately go to think of the cross. That's not what that Greek word means. The Greek word really points to the, the suffering that Christ uh, experienced during his personal ministry on earth. When he started his ministry on earth and how he was treated from that point on. And so you think about Paul and how did he suffer? Oh man, all kinds of different ways. Um, he, he suffered uh, physically. He was beaten. Yeah, he, he, suffered, um, he suffered relationally. Certain people wouldn't talk to him anymore. It's like, uh, you know, if, walk into a group of Democrats. Be like, I'm a Republican. What's up? And like, I'm, like you're out of the circle. You're not talking to me. So when we go in on Jesus, there are certain people. Relationally, things change. Things change with family, with friends. Like when we go all in... Things are different. He, uh, he, he suffered 
uh, from discouragement. Like he felt all of these things. It's, um, think about this in 1 Corinthians. He said it like this to the church at Corinth. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. He, he found that even in his suffering, that, 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 that sometimes we have to go through hard things for the benefit of the gospel reaching others. Like God can use all things for the good of those that love him and are called by his name. So that means sometimes we have to go through the divorce. Sometimes we have to deal with the addiction. Sometimes we suffer in certain things so that God can use it for the good of others. If you read on down in 1 Corinthians, I don't have it on the screen, but it says, For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We're confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. This is Paul and Timothy talking. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. You know how we suffer? The flavor of creamer we wanted wasn't out there this morning. Paul had been taken to a place where he had no strength left. He had suffered in such a way. He was willing, not just willing to suffer and give up the pumpkin spice or whatever. He's willing to give it up, not just willing, but found joy because he did something we struggle to do in America, and that's care about our neighbor more than ourselves. He said, I will do without whatever if it means that they will hear the gospel. I will do, my life is unimportant and my dreams and aspirations to sit on the Sanhedrin and be all the things that Paul could have been, none of that. He said, that became garbage to me when I took on the cross as the priority of my life. And his life became about others. He wasn't just willing to suffer, he joyfully suffered. He said, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. If you've come to the end of yourself this morning, you're in a good place. He said, when we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead, and he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. He said, when we stopped relying on ourselves through our suffering, when we realized God's all we got, that is when we found hope. Acts 9, when Jesus calls Paul on the road to Damascus, uh, he calls him down, strikes him down. Do you remember what he says? He says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting against me is what he says, which is unique because Jesus has already ascended, yet he's, he's meeting Paul in this place. And what's Paul doing at the time? We've got some Bible scholars in here. What's he doing at the time? 
Killing Christians. He is killing Christians. He's arresting them. He's putting them away. And, and yet Jesus says, you are persecuting me. What is the church? The body of Christ. You see, when we have stepped into his body and his kingdom and we are living with him and for him, we are his physical existence on the earth. And when we suffer, he suffers. He said, I was hated. If they hated me, they will hate you. A world in which Christianity is cool and everybody thinks it's awesome and, and it's, the, it's the cool thing to be and it's what gets you the most likes and follows and all that stuff is a world we will never live in. He found joy in suffering. This is not the most marketable sermon probably. Should have went with a secret to share. One twenty-eight. It says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in the relationship to Christ. He says, one, if I'm joy and suffering, two, this is about others. I'm putting others before myself. And, and second, this is a secret worth sharing. This is the mini sermon in the sermon. He's like, so, since Christ lives in us, he's our hope of glory, so we tell others. So me and Timothy and the leaders of the church, like, we tell others, warning them or admonishing them and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God's given us. You all can't keep a bad secret, can you? Like somebody said, don't tell anybody, and you're like, okay, and immediately you tell somebody. Everybody in here at one point in your life, and somebody said, don't tell anybody this, and you went and told somebody. Who didn't do it? Who's never done that? See? Who's done it? Y'all, not everybody's going, yeah, see? You can't. But, but we get this good news, this secret. And Paul says, this is the best news in the world. Jesus is no longer hidden in the temple. Hope is no longer separated from one race to the other. And it, it's not based upon your works anymore. You don't have to be right and do good. You just have to believe in Jesus Christ. So we tell others, this is a secret that should be a headline. Don't keep it a secret anymore. And so in your own life, who's there? Who's the neighbor, the friend, the child? Have you even walked through the gospel message with your children? Who is it that, that, that you should be sharing the good news with and you're just biding your time and, and trying to keep a friendship and here's the thing, it doesn't have to be in a condemn, you don't have to be condemning. This is, this is a, a loving warning, a loving truth that absent Christ in you, you are destined to eternal separation from God. Like this is big news. This is eternity altering for your friends and your family. He said, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone. That Greek word meant to, to help them understand, to lay on the mind or the heart. Part of that means you kind of have to understand it and be able to share it. 
He says, we got this goal. We want to present everybody we come in contact with. Spiritually mature is what he's saying. We just have a heart. This is, this is my heart. This is Chris's heart. This is the, the elders of this church, the leaders of this church. Like our heart is not to have the best worship on Sunday morning. Our heart is not to have the best lights or the best coffee. Our heart, we care about every single one of you and your relationship with Jesus. Anything we do other than that points back to that. And if it doesn't, we get confused sometimes. We correct it. Because the church of our culture is really easy to get comfortable and become about all the other things. The early church just made disciples. You can make disciples without a building or a stage. We're going we're gonna to have church in, in a couple weeks at the pavilion. We might just keep having it there. I'm kidding. Probably not through winter. But let me tell you, there's some people in some countries that would drive three hours to have church at the pavilion. In the outside and it's snowing. He says, we want to present them to God. We want to do our best to teach them, to help them understand and be in relationship with Jesus. Who do you know needs to hear that message? The final verse here that we have says, um, suffer and struggle. Sounds like a great sermon. That's why I work and struggle so hard. That's what Paul says. This is why I work and struggle. This is why I've been on the road, gone to all these different towns. This is why I've been beaten. This is why I've been shipwrecked. This is why I've been put in jail. This is why I've, I've been, I've been uh, separated from family and friends. This is why I'm in jail right now. Remember Paul when he's writing this? He is in jail in Rome right now when he's writing this. This is why I'm in jail and I've not given up. I'm here talking to Epi. Y'all remember Epaphras? He's the one that came to see him in jail. I'm here talking to him, and I'm not just in jail. I'm writing this letter to you. This is why I work and struggle so hard, because I care about you. He didn't work so hard to build his reputation or his following or, or to meet all the church metrics of numbers of people that attend and building size and all things. He worked because he wanted to see everybody in relationship with a believer. But this word worked and struggle was like, it was like a, uh, the root of it in the Greek meant to compete in the games. The idea of an athletic contest. Paul does not go about his Work half-heartedly, hoping vaguely that grace will fill in the gaps which he is too lazy to work at himself. 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor for me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I but God who was working through me by his grace. He says, I work so hard. This is the hard part. How do you struggle? Work so hard in the game. I hung a little shelf in our closet yesterday. Had to stand kind of funny for about five minutes. I can't walk today. Is that? Paul struggled. Like he went on. How do you struggle to the end of yourself? Stop relying on yourself. 
and depend on Christ. It feels like mutually exclusive, like either I'm going to depend on Christ, he's going to do it all, and I'm going to be, just watch him go. That's not how God's grace works. Because God's grace changed your life, and you work hard, but you sleep good at night. That's, in my mind, that's how this works, how you can see it in your life. Like you work a faithful day's work, and then at night you rest because you know God's in control, and he's the responsible for success, and he can do all the things you can't because worrying in bed doesn't do anything. I'm not great at that. Last week, I woke up twice. The first time I woke up, I was having this dream in the middle of the night. Well, a couple nights I couldn't sleep. And then I woke up in the middle of the night. I was having this dream. I was at church, and, and I was preaching. And it was right about this time. I was going to make the final point of the sermon, and everybody just started talking to each other. Like, they just started talking, like, completely ignoring me. They opened the doors. up. like, I'm not finished. I got one more point. And there was like, and nobody was paying attention. They were talking about where they were going to go eat. This is, I guess, preacher's nightmare. And, and there was, like, two people walked up here, like, felt sorry for me. He's like, what do you want to know? And, like, I just went down and told them the final point of the sermon. <laughs> and then I had this other dream where I woke up, like, six times through the night. And it was, I'd gotten to church, and it was the, during the first service. And we were, like, three songs into worship. And I was getting ready. It was almost time for me to come up and preach. And I was like, I forgot to prepare a sermon. I, like, it was, it was almost, like, you've been, had the dream where you're getting ready to fight, and you can't throw the... Like, you're in a fight, but you just can't punch. I was like, I was over here in the corner, like on the front row, trying to read the verses. Like, what am I going to say? What am I going to preach? The same dream, like, woke up multiple times the same night. Don't do that, please. Don't be like me. Sleep at night. Work faithfully during the day. You see, I go through this cycle of life where I think, oh, I can do that. I need to do that. I can't do that. God's got to do it. I trust God to do it, and I sleep in peace for a while. And then I get back to, I got to do this. I can do it. Does this feel like your endless cycle of life? Ain't you thankful heaven won't be that way? And no matter where you are in that cycle, can we just all come back together and say, we can't do this? Can we just say, I'm going to work faithfully, but I'm going to depend on him? This power... Because remember all the things I said about Jesus, it's inside of you. Ephesians 1.19, Paul said it like this. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That power is the mighty power that worked within Paul, that works within you, that works within me. That's the power we depend on. The motivation for the work, this is how you can test. Am I working for the right reasons? It wasn't fear. He wasn't working because he's afraid if he didn't work hard enough, God wouldn't love him. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. It wasn't pride. He wasn't working so hard because he thought, I can do this. I can work hard enough. I can break my addiction. I can break, uh, like I can fix my family. I can fix my life. I can earn enough money. It wasn't pride. It was love. It was love for his neighbor. It was love for Jesus. It was love that motivated him to work so hard. One last story before we close. There's a uh, this teacher that worked at a hospital in a larger city, 
And uh, she was a full-time teacher at the hospital. It was a children's hospital, and she would help uh, the students that would come in. She would kind of be their on-site tutor and help them get through their classes and, and lessons. And, and so she had this call from a teacher that specifically asked her, said, I got one student that's there. I need you to help him. We're studying nouns and adverbs right now. Will you, will you go walk him through that lesson? And uh, so she took his name and phone number, and she, she gets to the hospital that day, and she realizes that it's in the burn unit. And she thinks, man, is he in good enough shape? Is he okay for us to be, like, doing class? Uh, but she goes to his room, and he's all bandaged up, and he's, he's, in, he's in pretty bad shape. And yet, when she gets there, she says, she's trying to think, should I, should I do this lesson? Or is this rude and disrespectful for me to walk through this with him? She ends up doing the lesson. She gets the worksheets out, and she talks him through nouns and adverbs. The next day, she gets to the hospital, and a nurse comes and grabs her and says, hey, did you go to this student and teach a lesson? And she's like, I did. I'm sorry. Did it upset him? Was it the wrong thing? I really didn't know what to do. She's like, no. Like, when we came in this morning, he was a different child. Like, like he, 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 he believed he could live. He, he believed that he was going to be okay. Like, he had a desire and a hunger for life. And, and she said, here's what he told me. He said, they wouldn't teach nouns and adverbs to a dying child. And so in this one interaction, the one thing that changed with that child is hope. I've talked for 25 minutes or however long really just to say in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggling, you have tremendous hope inside of you. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, you have tremendous hope in front of you to simply accept and profess his name. There's hope in the midst of your suffering. There's hope through your struggle. And remind you, Jesus, of this secret we've shared today, a secret worth sharing. He said this in John 14, 16 through 18, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or a helper who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him. It doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. This is Jesus talking to you. He's talking to Jared. Jared, I will not abandon you as an orphan. I'll come to you. He says this in verse 20. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I'm in my Father. You are in me. And I am in you. Heavenly Father, as we close today, God, you're so good. Thank you for not leaving us orphaned. Thank you for looking past the sin in our lives. Thank you for being brokenhearted about our sin problem and not judgmental and confrontational. Thank you for being like the father and the prodigal son that when we come with arms, you're not hidden from us. You're not mad at us. You're just waiting. 
Like nothing gives you more joy than for us to turn to you and give it all to you. God, I pray as we get ready to sing one more song this morning, we have an opportunity to respond to your word and your truth. God, I pray you search our hearts. And, and if we've been complaining about the suffering and being a victim and thinking this, is, this always happens to me and it's just wrong and it's all my fault, God, would, would you let us see the purpose in our suffering? God, would you give us a heart for others? God, would you give us a heart to share this mystery, this news, this, this reality that, the, that your son Christ will live inside of us, simple, by faith. And God, as we struggle and we work, would you let it be motivated by love? Not by pride and that we can only do it and we can do it right. Not, not by fear that we're afraid we won't be good enough. But it's love for one another. God, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.